Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for spending time with me today. I'm looking forward to the show. David Wheaton is going to be joining me in just a minute. And my friend Dave Sr. from all of the beautiful island of Hawaii will be joining me. And then our uh, two is going to be the prayer series. We're going to continue with Dr. Peter Kapsner. And our guest today is Dave Johnson. So it's going to be uh, really a, a wonderful show. And of course, you know David. He's a regular guest. And uh, he is over at the ChristianWorldview.org. You can learn lots about David over there. He's an author and speaker and a brilliant uh, radio host. And, of course, you can always uh, hear him on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Central Time at the, on the Christian Worldview. David, welcome back. It's good to be with you today, Bill. Well, pretty crazy day. Uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, it really is. I, I watched a lot of it. And for people who are perhaps maybe just driving home today and didn't get a chance to see it, um, you know, there were big rallies in Washington, D.C. today. Today, January 6th, is the day that the uh, the House and the, and the Senate was going to certify the Electoral College of, of each state. And there was big rallies in favor of Donald Trump in, in Washington, D.C., because of the fact that there's been so many allegations of uh, irregularity, irregularities in, in the voting and allegations of fraud and so forth. And a lot of the courts have, you know, refused to hear these things and so forth. So it's kind of come to a head today. And there were literally hundreds of, and probably still are, hundreds of thousands of people uh, rallying in our nation's capital today. And uh, President Trump gave a very rousing message trying to give evidence for all the reasons he feels like uh, that that the election was stolen uh, in favor of Joe Biden and so forth. Well, people started the march toward the Capitol, uh, where Congress was in session, and Vice President Trump, uh, or Vice President Pence, excuse me, had made a made a speech saying that he w- didn't feel he had the constitutional authority to uh, reject the will of the state's electors, and so he kind of backed out of the side of this whole this whole debate. You know, very intense pressure. You can imagine what what today's been like for Vice President Pence, with so much pressure mm-hmm. on him from Trump to do something about this. But also, he has a strong conviction that he doesn't feel like he has the authority to do that. Um, anyway, people started the march toward the Capitol, and in surprise of all surprise, all of a sudden people just walked right up to the Capitol, up the steps, into the building, and you know, it's never been something that's really hasn't been seen in this country before. I mean, the there was a complete breakdown of of security around the Capitol today. And people were inside the chambers and the statuary room and all sorts of things. And uh, now I guess National Guard troops are being uh, sent in. There's been tear gas going off. I mean, it hasn't been like a a violent riot, but there's certainly been some violence uh, inside the Capitol building. So um, this is really an unprecedented time going on right now in America. And I don't just mean today, by the way. Uh, just just overall, the, this last year has just been things that uh, perhaps we no one anticipated seeing in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we need to continue to be salt and light in this very uh, troubled world and to uh, pray for our nation as as we go about our day. Make sure we, we take we time do. to be doing that. 
We do. The Bible commands us, no matter who the, the leader is, who our leaders are, both believer or non-believer, to, to pray for our th those in authority. Ultimately, God puts in authority those who are in authority, even if it is—I mean, there's lots of been illegitimate, fraudulent, uh, evil, sinful leaders all over the world, but God puts them in power. It just His sovereignty is beyond our understanding. He puts them in, in power for reasons that we don't always understand. Sometimes He uses uses wicked, God-rejecting men and women to accomplish His will uh, for acts of judgment, too. So it's hard to know where we are in America, but uh, I, I think we are in a very danger, dangerous and pivotal time right now. And again, not just today, what happened today. I mean, what's been going on uh, for the last several years in this country uh, is, I, I think, game-changing. But I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know the future, but I do know who holds the future. Yeah. Amen. Now, David, you've been so kind in, in helping us uh, go through the book of Genesis. I would love to get back to that, because that's where my heart is uh, this day. And I think the last time we were uh, we were talking about uh, Genesis, I think it was 36, perhaps, 35 and 36. Yeah, yeah, we were in the in the in the thirties in Genesis yeah. and we've been going through this all year and we're coming up to the story of Joseph. And you know, you it, it, that's a big transition to go from what's going on in America back to them. But actually it's really quite relevant. You know, the the the, the storyline of what took place in the days of Joseph, people are the same. I mean, we <laughs> we all the sinful nature has never never changed. There are different names and different faces, but there's still the same sin natures. There's the same deceitfulness and wickedness taking place. There's the same sort of, uh, you know, leadership, um, you know, bad things going on with those in political power um, back then as there are now. So maybe we shouldn't be really surprised when unregenerate people act like unregenerate people. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, this story in Genesis 37 that we started getting into last time of Joseph, he was the the second youngest of Jacob, Jacob's sons. Now remember, there's Abraham, then there's Isaac, and there's Jacob. These are the three big patriarchs of the beginning of the nation of Israel um, that God made a promise to that there would be land given to them, there would be lots of descendants, and there would be blessing on them. And literally, that's still relevant today. I mean, the, the Jewish people literally are one of the only people groups that are distinguishable from that long ago. I mean, so you can look at the fact that the, the Jewish people are back in the land, even though they don't, most of them don't acknowledge uh, Christ as their Messiah. Uh, there's been a divine favoring on, on those people, and it was started back in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, and he was the favored of, of all the sons, the 12 sons from which the 12 tribes come. He was the favored one. Jacob loved him the most, even though he was one of the, the younger sons, and his older brothers hated him for it. Uh, and they had intent to kill him for it, because J J Joseph would tell them his dreams about how that his he had these dreams that his older brothers would bow down to him. So, of course, that didn't make him very happy, and his father and his mother kind of wonder, where, where is this kid coming from? Well, he was getting these dreams, and which would turn true someday, but his brothers resented him so much for it that they wanted to kill him. And that's kind of where we ended last last time, as the brothers are off pasturing the flock, and jo Joseph is sent by Jacob to go see how his brothers are doing. And as Joseph approaches, his brothers immediately recognize him because he's wearing this, this, this multicolored coat that mm -hmm. his father gave him, a sign of the favoritism. And they immediately see him, and they say from a distance that here comes this dreamer. Now then, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we'll say a vicious animal devoured him then we will see what will become of his 
his dreams. You have to keep in mind when you hear that, you think, boy, this is really premeditated murderous intent. And it is. And this comes from a family, the family of Jacob, a family who is supposedly supposed to be worshipers of God. And, and, and the sin nature just shows the relevancy here is the sin nature in all of us is so strong that if we we can't put a cap on sin, we can't have sin festering inside of us, resentment, jealousy, mm-hmm. anger, whatever it is inside of us, we can't put a cap on that and just hope it's going to go away with time. Because you can see in the life of Joseph with his older brothers, that wasn't taking place. And when he goes to visit them, it's going to turn into this unbelievable tale of selling him into slavery and a whole thing that God providentially ordained from there. David, uh, jealousy and resentment, that's a particular poison. You don't want to be harboring that, do you? No, you don't. And, you know, that, 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 that's what really the story is here. They, this is built up the dreams of Joseph and, and the favoritism of the father towards Joseph and the brothers hating him and holding this in. And then, you know, him coming to visit. And then at one point, Joseph had come, brought, came back to his father with a bad report about his brothers. We don't know whether the father asked him what was going on or what, or he kind of tattled on him. We don't know. But there was just, there was reason uh, that his brothers really resented him. But the point is, it's like we have that sometimes in our lives today with people we know who offend us and so forth. It doesn't help us to to harbor anger and resentment inside of us or bitterness towards someone else. It only hurts us. And eventually, if we keep on letting that fester in our lives, it comes out in sinful behavior on our part. And that's exactly what happened with, with uh, Joseph's brothers. Mm-hmm. And that, their whole plan to get rid of him, that's a pretty mean, treacherous plan and plot they had. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, if you think about it, you know, so here comes Joseph walking toward his brothers who are out, you know, pasturing their flocks a ways away from their home where, where Jacob is, and they immediately see him. They plan to kill him and tell their father that a wild, to lie to their father that a wild beast has devoured him. So the firstborn, Reuben, the oldest, you know, talks them out of doing that because he knows that he's going to be seen as responsible as the firstborn if this happens to the favored son, Joseph. And he says, well, let's just throw him into a pit. And so because he doesn't want to bear responsibility. So when Joseph arrives, they, they take off this, this multicolored coat that he wears. They throw him into a pit and then they, then they sit down to eat a meal. So they have their, their little brother in a pit, the bottom of a pit, and they just go on with their lives like they're going to have a nice meal. In other words, their consciences, it just shows you we can really harden our consciences to treating people terribly. Uh, and you know, after doing such a thing to Joseph, they just kind of sit down and have a meal. And, and meanwhile, this intent, this murderous intent, what are we going to do with Joseph, is still simmering inside of them. And so the fourth-born son, Judah, from which the line of Christ would come through, by the way, he, I think, sees his brother's intent that the pit is not going to be good enough, and they want to finish what they had originally planned to do to murder him. And so he suggests that maybe he's trying to save Joseph, and he sees there's very, very few options here. It's either he's going to be murdered. He suggests that they sell their younger brother into slavery. Like, maybe that's better than killing him. And so just at that time, traitors are coming along on their way to Egypt, and Judah, with, with the approval of the other brothers, sends their, sells their younger brother to the Ishmaelite traders who are going down to, to Egypt for 20 shekels of silver. That was the average price of a slave at the time. This is you know, similar. Joseph is always seen as a type of Christ, kind of shadows and types of who Christ was, just as Christ was betrayed by 
Judas, mm-hmm. uh, for 30 pieces of silver. So was Joseph betrayed or sold into slavery for the price of a slave uh, down into Egypt. So you can imagine, just get in your mind, Bill, you're probably, Joseph, maybe 17, 18 years old at this time. Uh, the, the chapter ends in verse 28 by saying, so they brought Joseph into Egypt. This is they being the Ishmaelite traders. So just imagine what would that what that was like. You go to visit your brothers. Your brothers hate you from the bottom of their of every ounce of their being. They are going to murder you, throw you into a pit, and then sell you to people you don't know as a teenager into slavery, into a, a foreign land. And uh, this must have been a terrifying moment in the life of Joseph. But uh, the last 13 chapters of Genesis are about Joseph, and there's a lot more to the story coming up. Yeah, the way you put that, it sure makes it sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you're 17 years old, yeah. and your your whole life has been betrayed by your own family members. I mean, what could be more of a betrayal than that? But by the way, th- this isn't the last time, you know, when Joseph, we're going to get into this in subsequent chapters, this isn't the last time that Joseph is going to be treated terribly unjustly. Mm-hmm. But in the life of Joseph, surprisingly, unlike his brothers, we never see the bitterness or the resentment uh, develop in his life for all the unjust treatment he had by his own brothers, by the by his own master down in in Egypt and by other people, he doesn't allow that to happen in his own life. And it, it turns out that that works out to his great favor in life, not to hold that kind of sinfulness inside of him. Yeah. 17, you should be on the tennis court, not being sold into slavery. That's exactly right. He uh, had a un- very highly unusual life. Exactly. All right, David Wheaton's my guest. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our study on the great book of Genesis. Be right back. Genesis and how it's most relevant for today. David, right before we went to the break, we were talking about Joseph being sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. And I'm thinking, where is God in all this, these horrible circumstances for Joseph? What is God doing in the middle of all this? Yeah, it's it's a great question because I think most anyone, most anyone listening today, me, you, mm-hmm. would be asking that same question. You're you're being hauled down from the land of future land of Israel, Canaan, down to Egypt enslaved. Okay. You went to go visit your brothers. Now you're in a caravan being taken against your will down to Egypt to a place you don't know, foreign country, and you'd be thinking, what, what, what is God doing in the midst of this? Well, apparently, you know, Joseph may have been asking that question, uh, but he wasn't in, in, the, in the mindset of blaming God for what was going on. At least we don't see that. As a matter of fact, later in the story, Joseph came to understand that all the bad things that happened to him, getting sold into slavery by his brothers, being unjustly accused of raping his master's wife, which he never did uh, down in Egypt, all the, going to jail for several years down there, being in a jail, having one of the, the, the pharaohs, I think it was the, the baker or the, the wine taster, I can't remember which one, uh, forgets about him, does, doesn't tell Pharaoh about his situation after he helped that man get out of jail. You know, you would think Joseph would be saying, God, I mean, come on here. What, what, I, mean, I do all the right things, but I get treated so wrongly. Um, but he realized later in his life, where I don't want to get to the end of the story here too much, but basically that, that God had not only uh, wasn't unjust for having what happened to Joseph, but that God had actually done it on purpose to save 
his own family out of uh, Israel or Canaan during this great famine that was going to come. In other words, Joseph was sent down to Egypt for a reason. And, and the reason was in the mind of God that no one could understand at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, David, I'm sure a lot of people have these feelings, these emotions, because they've got difficult circumstances and they're wondering, where is God in all of this? And mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to uh, to understand it uh, when you're in the moment, but you have to trust and do the next step of faith and remain obedient. That, that That's exactly right, Bill. Mm. It, it really is as simple as that, but as hard as that. Yeah. that that's, not, that's not easy to do, what you just said, but that's what it is. And God operates, the principle that God operates on is a principle of faith or trust. That's how we come to saving faith. It's not, oh, you know, go get baptized, take communion, do these good deeds, check these boxes, and then you're saved— no, it's more difficult than that. Anyone can do those things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but not everyone can can rest or trust or have faith or believe in uh, what God has revealed and what His Son did for us on the cross. So God says, you're a sinner. I'm God. You're accountable to me. I'm the great just judge of this universe, and you're a sinner. You've alienated yourself from me by your sin, and you're going to be under just judgment for your sin. And he says, but I've offered you a way to be reconciled with me, to be forgiven. If you put your faith in what I've sent my son to do, I sent my own son, my only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to sacrifice, to offer himself on a cross. And I'm going to consider that sacrifice a payment, a a blood payment for, for your sin, a death penalty for your sin that you deserve to pay. I'm going to have him pay it for you so that if you repent, and believe in who Christ is, that he's the Son of God, and what he did for you on the cross, he paid the penalty that you deserve to pay for your sin, that I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you his righteousness and give you eternal life as well. And so that is not something that you can hold tangibly in your hand, but that's something that God wants you to believe him by faith, just by the way, as we've been talking about in this story of Abraham, when God made the promise to Abraham, the covenant to him, it's that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him to righteousness faith or belief or trust, whatever word you want to use, not works, trust is always the basis on which we are to approach and please and obey God. And uh, that's exactly in, in hard times. It's hard times. No one's saying it's not hard times for Joseph or in someone who's listening live today, but we need to, as you said, have faith in God that he has a higher purpose, keep being obedient to him and trusting him that he will work things together for his glory and our good in the end. Yeah, when you think about the darkness that Jesus went into, no one has gone into a darkness like he did. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's a great point, Bill. I mean, think about how terrible it was for for Joseph to be hauled down uh, to Egypt, but just think about how horrible, infinitely more horrible, you have the Son of God who comes to earth as one of us. We just celebrated Christmas, Mm -hmm. comes to earth as one of us, grows up, and then the, the 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 incomprehensible of all incomprehensible, the God who created us is murdered, is crucified by those whom he created. And, and they think they're doing a righteous act mm-hmm. by by doing this. That, that's how upside down our world is. But then here's God turning it into good. What they intended for evil, as Joseph was going to say about his brothers, for Christ, God turned it into good. What man did for evil in crucifying Christ— God turned it into the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of mankind, so that all who would come to him in repentance and faith 
uh, could be forgiven and reconciled, made right with God. Mm-hmm. You know, David, as as you grow in your faith, you, you hear things over and over, and they strike you differently, uh, depending on, you know, where you're at in your journey. Uh, you know, this Christmas, I was reminded that he was beaten beyond human comprehension. And I heard that, and I thought, that is an amazing, unbelievable condition to be in, that you are beaten beyond human comprehension. Yeah. That's right. I think was that from Isaiah fifty three yeah. or from one of the Gospels? Yeah. You read that. Isaiah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it is. It's you know, again, is, this is the Son of God, the one who created us, the one who could have called down legions of angels and 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 judged and destroyed anyone, all, all of the earth, in just one simple command. Uh, this is the God Himself, the God Man Himself, who has all power and all glory, uh, and yet chose to humble Himself, taking the form of a of a, of a slave and be beaten beyond recognition, as, as you were saying, uh, because he loved us enough not to leave us in our sins. In other words, he, he loved us enough that he wanted to provide a way out. I mean, how often would we, for those listening today who have a son, I have an only son, by the way, uh, and I often think, you know, here's God sending his only son to come to earth. He loved us so much, he sent his only son to earth to die for our sins, not his own son's sins, not Christ's sin. He didn't have any. I mean, would I be willing to send my only son to go die for someone else's, to pay the penalty for someone else's sins? I don't think so. And, and that's just an incredible uh, just characteristic of how much God loves us and how much he's desiring to reconcile us and forgive us for our sins. I mean, we don't. when people sin against us, we don't like it. We, we don't like to forgive people. But here God is constantly reaching out to us. As he reached out to the prodigal son, he, he ran to him as he, as he returned from his life of sinfulness. He ran to him. He didn't hold it over his head. And this is what God does to us. He reaches out. He, he wants us to come back. He wants us to be right with him. He wants to forgive us. And uh, this is just the, the most amazing truth in all of uh, in all of human history. Yeah. Once again, we've got this recurring theme of God working through s- sinful means to accomplish a good purpose. It is. It's back to Romans 8.28. That verse gets maybe a little bit overused sometimes, that God causes all things, even the hard things, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, maybe a little used, a little misused sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely true, and we see that for sure. I mean, that 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 the story of Joseph, which we're going to get more and more into, uh, we're going to see that as the recurring theme over and over again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. David, thank you so much for continuing this series on Genesis. It's really wonderful. I I just love it, and I learn so much, and you're doing such a great great job of of um, teaching and, and uh, sharing the information. So thank you for doing such a wonderful job every week well, or every other you're week. You're welcome, Bill, but I'm learning so much too. Just going over this story that I've read many times and kind of thinking about it, reading between the lines a little bit and thinking what that must have been like and seeing God's providence and sovereignty in the whole thing has is, is really increased my faith as well. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of the day, and I will look forward to chatting again in a couple of weeks. Greet your family for me and uh, have a wonderful night. Thank you, Bill. You You too. David Wheaton's been my guest. We'll take a little break. When we come back, another David friend of mine will be joining me all the way from the beautiful island of Hawaii. We're going to find out what's going on over there in terms of COVID and as he's having conversations about life and death with people living in paradise. That's all next.
Welcome back. If you live in Minnesota, you always want to be in a warmer climate, especially in the winter. And then on August 21st, 1959, Hawaii became a state. And I think my friend Dave was about three at the time, and he said, I'm going to retire there one day. So he's a very smart, very smart kid. And he's uh, joining me today all the way from the great uh, state of Hawaii. Dave, welcome. Oh, good to see you or good to hear you, Bill. How are you? I'm really good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. How's your uh, weather? It's uh, seasonably, seasonably uh, warmer than usual. Uh, usually ah, in go. January, we're getting bit hard, but right now I think it's in the 30s today, so I'll take that any day of the week oh, there you in go. January. What That's do you have, perfect. my friend? Oh, it's like 85-ish. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, a little bit of trade winds to keep us cool, but yeah. uh, no complaining. <laughs> so you have no interest in making friends on this program, huh? <laughs> Hey, you know, um, like I say, since I moved over here, there's no complaining allowed over yeah, here. So, yeah. yeah. What, what is it like over there right now with tourism? Like, is that at a standstill? No, actually, um, it changed. The um, The islands were, uh, well, they called it closed. But, um, but from March until the middle of October, um, a uh, 14-day quarantine was required if you came over. And that effectively um, really kept anyone from coming over. And, um, and, the, and the island was just closed. It was, um, uh, I live on Maui. It was like, it was like Maui 1965. <laughs> there was, the beaches were empty, the streets were empty, um, and all, basically all the, all the things that support tourism were closed. All, I mean, and I'm talking hotels, restaurants, bars. It wasn't that they had few people there. They were just literally closed oh, wow. with, a, with a guard at the front entrance. Um, wow. So you couldn't even drive in. You know, talking the Sheraton, the West, and the Hyatt. I mean, big national chains, international yeah. chains. And then um, in uh, the middle of October, uh, they changed the rules, and they said you could come here if you had a uh, COVID test that was taken um, and showed negative within 72 hours of your departure. And people slowly started to come back. And um, over the Christmas season, which usually operates at about uh, 95 to 100% occupancy, mm-hmm. um, during those two weeks, we were at about 30%. Wow. That's, that's so, quite a change. Yeah. Yeah. Places are open, but, um, you know, between the various rules that are required for distancing and uh, capacity and outdoor dining and all of those things it's um the uh it's it's pretty slow and pretty um uh pretty marginal um occupancy compared to what it it normally would be Mm -hmm. so with covid and everything else going on a lot of people who uh, go to retire in hawaii they're they're in a nice position in life um, and COVID has found them maybe asking the bigger questions, or are they not asking the bigger questions? What is what is well, this all the, about? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there was an extreme amount of concern, and I, I don't know if it was dissimilar from the rest of the country. From you know what I see in news reports, it was it was similar um, elsewhere. But uh, come March, when things really shut down, 
nationally, I guess, at least in the, in the, in the states. Um, there was serious concern about COVID here because um, the medical provision on Maui is pretty slim. I mean, mm-hmm. we have one hospital. It's on the other side of the island, which is 45 minutes at best from where uh, where we are. And there's 40, maybe 40 ICU beds. Oh, wow. So, we you know, with a population of 125 to 140,000 people plus um, the tour, uh, the visitor community, uh, tourism community, that might be 25,000 additional people per day coming and going. So, so there was, there was a lot of concern, um, you know, about what we were going into and, um, how to deal with it. And, um, and, you know, if it was one of these catastrophic, uh, uh, medical, uh, surges, whether, you know, they had, um, the services, uh, to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, you know, I guess, I guess we have something different than, than all the other states. And that is we have a, a fairly defined uh, boundary where they can pretty much keep track of who comes and goes and they can just shut things down. And, uh, that's what they did. And it's, I guess it's probably not dissimilar to what we've seen going on in New Zealand or in Australia, where, um, if you, if you shut off uh, people's access to come and go, they can um, definitely control uh, some aspects of it differently than, than if you're in one of the contiguous 48 states. Mm-hmm. So, so are people wearing, yeah. are people on the beach wearing masks or no masks on the beach? Um, not much masks on the beach. Okay. Um, at the beginning, um, the beaches were closed. Wow. You, you weren't, you weren't allowed that. to be, yeah, you weren't allowed to be out on the beach. And in fact, uh, people, they were given out, Tickets that uh, cost at a minimum five hundred dollars, and um, if you're on the beach, incar- yeah, I- I- including incarceration on Mother's Day. I, <laughs> I do know I do know someone that was out sitting eating a sandwich alone with nobody within hundreds of yards in any direction in the ocean on one side, and he received the ticket and had to go uh, retain counsel to go in and uh, plead his case. Um, but uh, yeah, that was. Um, that was what was going on in, in May at Mother's Day and, and later on. And they, they finally relaxed that. But um, Hawaii's very um, very near and dear to surfing, which was an essential activity, and um, <laughs> fishing, which mm-hmm. was an essential activity. Right. So you could be on the beach only if you were accessing the water. And, uh, and that went on for, uh, oh, two or three months. And then, uh, then they finally opened the beaches. But they encouraged you to you know, uh, keep the groups to, uh, under 10 and family members within the same household, that type of, type of thing. Yeah. So, so, so that was what was going on. Yeah. So you're, but, uh, you're a rational person. What were you thinking about all this? Well, you know, um, my take is, uh, that COVID in general kind of, I think provided an opportunity for everybody to, uh, take stock in their own, uh, mortality mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, what's the big picture. Right. And, uh, you know, um, there's no guarantee here. Uh, and, uh, as a friend of mine, uh, likes to say, uh, none of us are getting out of here alive. So, um, you know, we don't want to be taking, um, unnecessary risks and we don't want to be exposing other people to unnecessary risks, but, um, there's not an entitlement to life. And it's it's not something that um, 
even with the best of uh, circumstances with diet, fitness, good thinking, good practices, that um, you're going to guarantee yourself anything. So I think it's always a good idea to um, to make sure you know where you stand on uh, on your thinking. And mm-hmm. um, personally, I, I'm a I'm a, uh, a person of faith. So um, which I which I find that um, typically there are two kinds of of, of people of faith: <laughs> yeah. people that believe and people that don't believe. <laughs> both of which both of which are people of faith. Right. And uh, I'm one that uh, has decided that. Um, that uh, I choose to believe that there is uh, life after uh, life on Earth here, and so um, uh, you know, I was hopeful that um, that other people would um, take stock and, and where what their thinking was on that, as opposed to just ignoring it. Like uh, sometimes uh, people look at, at life like when you scold a dog, and the dog kind of looks away, like. If he's not looking at you, it's not happening. And, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and with life, you know, if you don't think about um, what comes at the end of uh, life on Earth, you know, sometimes you think that you know it's never going to happen. But but uh, I think as we all find out at, at some stage of our life that that that's not true, mm-hmm. and um, and it is coming. So what did, yeah. what did you learn in this t- time? Of, I mean, if you're on Maui and there's not a lot of people there, and it's 1960 something in Maui, it's pretty. Pretty quiet, pretty nice, pretty peaceful, pretty beautiful. And is it a time that you were able to uh, discover more of God's grace and peace, or what was going on in your spirit? Well, I got to say, it was um, at the onset, it was a bit, uh, a little bit unnerving. I mean, um, you know, if you, like anybody, when they go into the wilderness, uh, you're alone. And um, you know, I go out. I typically go out paddling every morning, and uh, I'm out there on the ocean, and uh, I always kind of feel like. If something catastrophic went wrong, I could probably scream, and somebody's attention would would uh, get the message. But um, when when this all happened, and you were out there, um, the serenity was um, was a little bit unnerving at the beginning. And um, uh, if anything happened, there was nobody to call and nobody to to, uh, to come to your aid or anything else. So um, you know, yeah, I think it's a good time to sit and reflect on. Uh, on you know what's really there, um, uh, you know to uh, to guide us and be and be with us and and be our refuge mm-hmm. um, to a to a significant meaning. And um, so um, you know that was that was kind of it. But you know I, I do think that um, um, at least being a person of faith, I remember seeing a, a prayer that Martin Luther gave in the 1500s during the bubonic plague, and and he made the point. Uh, uh, I'll read it to you. It says, "If God, if God should wish to take me, He will surely find me." And um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of kind of says it all. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can run, but we can't hide. And um, uh, you know, um, I think it's just good to be uh, uh, in a life with Him and um, and sharing God, uh, sharing life with God. Yeah. And uh, so. What kind what, of puts what, us on our mission course? Yeah, how would you evaluate the level of fear uh, among the your your community in Hawaii? I mean, here you are in paradise, so I mean, pretty nice place to be. And are people asking the bigger questions about life? Are they saying, "Boy, Dave, you know, this ep- this pandemic could take anybody at any time." Are they are they asking bigger questions, or are they finding themselves gripped in bigger fear? 
I would, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, based on my perception and, and discussions with with just people and, and their behavior, they seem to be um, more linked to the bigger, you know, bigger fear. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know if that's that's human nature or, um, you know, I guess. Uh, uh, faith to some degree uh, is an acquired taste. It, it, it doesn't come without, you know, uh, some kind of confrontation personally, and then some kind of practice that follows, um, uh, learning and 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 um, and some path toward uh, a better and bigger understanding of um, of what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least, at least, you know, thinking back, you know. Um, when I started my journey with, with Christian faith, you know, there you don't know much, and you learn along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, I guess that puts you in 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 some some uh, uh, position of comfort and confidence. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still uh, it's still based on faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, you know, it's what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um, you know, some of this can be a little bit unnerving to anybody, even 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 the biggest people of faith. Yeah, so. that's true. All right, Dave Sr. is my guest. We'll take a little break, and we'll come back lots more with my friend Dave all the way on the beautiful island of Maui in Hawaii. Be right back. friend Dave Sr. Dave and I go back a long way. Dave is a successful attorney, now retired. I do work. Do you still work, Dave? No, no, still working all the time, yeah. Okay, to, whatever. You know, trying to stimulate the economy. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, but so you've got a little office in the, in the uh, in your place, and you, you get uh, you get some work done every day, huh? Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, keeps your mind sharp, keeps yeah. you... Keeps you from getting flabby, you right. know, keeps you thinking. Right, right. So, and, the, and the, the kids are all grown adults now, but what are kids doing in Hawaii? Are they doing school in the classroom or are they online? Um, they're uh, online. Um, most of them, all, all athletics are shut down. Private schools are in the classroom. Okay. So. So, yeah. No, I, I ran into the athletic director of our local high school um, the other day, and he says he, he has not done a thing. Since February, and I said, you know, this is athletics, the um, outdoors, <laughs> cross country, anything, and uh, nothing. So um, that seems so odd. Uh, you're in Hawaii. Yeah, no, you know, and um, you know, I guess I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I just kind of know what everybody else knows from what they read <laughs> and see. But uh, being outdoors um, seems to be a positive, and um, you know, if you can do spacing and things like that, it seems like there would be some things you. you could or should be able to do mm-hmm. and uh, and do it pretty um uh safely yeah and um would you but hasn't been the case yeah would you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert um i guess it depends on who's standing in the room <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> okay that makes sense <laughs> do i want to talk to this person or not maybe not maybe i'm, I'm, I'm an introvert i do like people 
you know, so I guess that make me extroverted to, to that degree. Yeah. So uh, I'm just trying to think if there's anything that's that you've you've learned from this time of quiet, this time of retreat, and this time <laughs> of of not connecting the way you normally do um, that you might want to continue after life resumes to normal or the next phase of normal. You know, it, it's funny. Um, uh, there were a lot of changes that, that went on when 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 this all came down in, in, in 2020. But um, when I looked around and, and saw uh, um, some of the things that were going on that were, were dramatic changes for, for many people working remotely. So like I started working remotely in 2013 when I moved over here. That wasn't much of a change. And then, um, you know, uh, the type of activities that I'm involved in are typically pretty solitary, whether it's out paddling by myself or, um, or uh I swim, but, you know, uh, they finally opened up the pools and you could uh, be outdoors, but you had to make a reservation and show up. <laughs> I had to make a reservation to go swimming. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, you got to show up on time. They unlock the gate. They let you, they allow you in with a mask. You walk straight to the lane that's been assigned to you. You swim for 45 minutes and then you exit a different gate. So you don't come in contact with the next crowd that's coming in on the next okay. hour. And, um, but uh, no, it's it's been a little bit uh, a little bit of isolation in in, um, in everything we do, whether you want it or not, and um, and certainly with the uh, with the activities on the island being closed down, um, it's been pretty solitary. So um, whether you want it to be social or or um, or an introvert, um, there wasn't a lot of choice. Yeah, and a lot of it around here. Yeah. So, now, how many people do you know that have? Uh become have tested positive for covid um well our, our son our oldest son he uh he tested positive but he and, wasn't in uh, hawaii no he was in texas yeah, no, yeah. You gotta, i want to say your friends in your community in hawaii um no one so no one that you know has gotten covid no one no no i mean the numbers the numbers of cases that get reported right now right now it is um, being perceived as a that like the place is on fire with COVID spreading, and they announce the numbers of which the numbers I'm not real clear on if the numbers increase just because testing's increasing or or if testing's kind of been uh, you know a flat um, uh, line all the way through. But but we're up to 40 cases, like they, they, you know we have 40 cases in a day. Wow. Which, and you compare that to something like New York City, it probably wouldn't even wouldn't even notice it was going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, and um, and the island's big, so it can be on you know completely on the other side of the island. But um, and it seems to be linked to a couple of um, uh, apartment houses um, where um, you know people inside, families, mm-hmm. um, same same room, same apartments, mm-hmm. and then throughout the apartment buildings, but. Um, no, as far as uh, there's one woman at church that uh, I knew got it, and I'm not sure I know who she is. And that was in the very, you know, that was in March, March, April. But aside from that, I, I know no one that's gotten it here. Um, or I'm not even sure I know anyone who knows anyone that's gotten it here. Wow. That's remarkable, so, yeah. Dave. That's really remarkable. I mean, uh, the islands must be doing a lot of things right, or there must be just such tremendous outdoor activity and, and uh and people are keeping themselves spaced and wearing masks and not being 
uh, in crowded places together. What's the grocery well, store I mean, like? Yeah, I mean, it's isolated. It's an isolated island. Mm-hmm. It's outdoors. It's got, you know, sea breeze and <laughs> trade winds. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's got all the idyllic stuff that right. um, that you enjoy when there isn't a pandemic. And um, it seems to be working at least uh, pretty favorably with re- with respect to um, to COVID-19. However, I will say, I'll drop a footnote, if you're over on Oahu, which is a million people, the numbers over there have been quite different. And um, you might hear a different response if you were talking to uh, to someone over there on on who they know and how many people that they've uh, come in contact with that, that have had it or been exposed to it. Because mm-hmm. their numbers were, were, were quite a bit different. Yeah, And they even have quarantine rules in our island. So in other words, someone from Maui can go over to Oahu no quarantine, no testing required. But when you return, you have to either have been tested before you come back or you have to go in quarantine. So, so um, you're, you're taking yeah. a little short puddle jumper from Oahu back to Maui and you have to be tested when you land? Before you come. Before you come, you have to be tested. You have to bring your, your negative test results uh, and, and show it on arrival. And that's true for any of the outer islands. So... Uh, any of the other islands, Kauai, the Big Island, Maui, we can all go to Oahu, but we can't come back. Interesting. Unless you've been tested. Yeah. yeah. That is so. Um, yeah, they, 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 Hawaii, Hawaii views Oahu like they view the mainland. Sure. <laughs> like, uh, that's where you go to get contaminated and <laughs> return back and cause damage here. Yeah. So, well, that, um, well, Maui or uh, Oahu is a very busy place. I mean, I, I haven't been over there in years, but it. it started to feel more and more like Los Angeles last time I was there. Well, it's a million people. Yeah, I mean, so it, uh, I think Hawaii really has close to a million, a million four, million, million high three, million four, and uh, five primary islands, and um, over a million, I think a million one is on, on Oahu, and then um, the rest are, you know, Maui and the Big Island maybe have 150,000 people. Mm-hmm. Kauai, Kauai even less, you know, yeah. 50,000, 50, so... Um, and Lanai has 3,000. <laughs> One wow. stop sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a light. It's a sign, isn't it? No, but they, but they were very concerned over there about COVID. I mean, very concerned about who, who you are and why you want to come here. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty much closed for six or seven months. Yeah. So, uh, and have you traveled no off the island? There. I did travel to, to go see the kids in um, in October. And uh, was gone for about five or six weeks, and uh, went and did some hiking at the at the national parks in um, in Utah for uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, no, that was a that was I have to say that was a big difference. I mean, uh, you kind of get used to what's going on here, which is it's it's a problem that we hear about everywhere, and certainly affected the economy and people's um, work and their businesses and everything else here. But as far as dealing with it as it could uh, affect me or infect me, um, that's pretty arm's length here on Maui. Um, Getting off the plane in San Francisco when I left, um, it was like, you know, red alert. It's like, oh, this is what everybody's uptight about. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. I, th- uh, I think I should relocate the show to Maui. I just just getting the feeling I got to talk to someone in management around here. It would not be a bad place to uh, to uh, be uh, while the uh, while the uh, the circumstances change and, and we return back toward normal. Which 
I've been predicting uh, it's going to happen in about every three weeks for the past nine months. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's been happening. Yeah. My, <laughs> so, my problem is I'm an avid indoorsman. I don't, I'm not much for the sun. Do you wear, like, sunblock every day? I mean, I would not. I, yeah, I can't. I don't leave. It just goes on. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, lotion. Yeah, I mean. Okay. I would be uncomfortable. I would be uncomfortable in 10 seconds going outside. Okay. So, but, you know, hats, sunscreen, yeah, yeah. Uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, and certainly um, even more so come March through September. Okay. Uh, now the sun's a little bit lower in the sky. It doesn't feel as intense. Uh, you know, I swim in the afternoon, a little not as concerned about it. Yeah. And uh, so. Well, you've largely, Dave, you've largely spoken to people in the upper Midwest, and I'm sure you've made almost no friends. So thank you so much for coming on and doing the show. Well, we're looking forward to them returning to the <laughs> okay, island. Good. And, that was uh, the right thing to say. Yeah, right. You know, the, um, the, 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 uh, the snowbirds. Uh, exactly. we, we love to see the people from, uh, from Minnesota and all the uh, upper Midwest, and um, it's always good to get reacquainted with our friends there from the go. Gopher State. There yeah. you go. Now you're saying yeah. all the right stuff. <laughs> well, right. Go, have, go have a nice lunch. It's probably four hours earlier than it is here, so have a great day, and thanks for chatting with me. Hey, thanks, Bill. All right. You're great bet. to talk with you yep. as always. God Take bless. care. Yep. My friend Dave Sr. has been my guest. We're taking a little break. Guess what? Hour two is just ahead. We're going to have the prayer series. We continue. Uh, Dr. Peter Capster and I will be hosting... A wonderful hour with Dave Johnson. Can't wait. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.